Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to this week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, February 10th, 2023. And this week, scooters get locked, two billion trips through Uber, and the worker hero dilemma. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And of course, from Legal Rideshare, I'm joined by co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Greening. Brian, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jared. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, as we discussed before, as always, you know, new year, new topics, new exciting trends uh, in tech. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it here. Uh, on Monday, scooters get locked up, and this is from Bloomberg. They reported, "quote This week, Lyft announced that it is piloting a more structural solution, which is a dock that can park both rented bikes and scooters. They have two prototypes of the pillar model, as they're calling it. Um, they're already on the ground in San Francisco." Um, And they're looking to roll out in markets like Denver, Minneapolis, um, and Washington, D.C. And and they even mentioned in the article here that last May, Lyft was piloting an earlier prototype of the docks right here in Chicago through the city's Divi program. Um, So, you know, they're saying this is to try to kind of clean up the mess in the street. And I'd love to hear your opinion on what you think about the dock system. I think it's great. Uh, I'm glad to see that Lyft is uh, prioritizing, one, decluttering the cities, and two, safety. Um, When scooters first came out into Chicago, and and I've been to various other cities where they've been deployed, it's been a total mess, um, both in terms of people learning how to use the scooters and driving them on the sidewalks and all that, but almost more importantly, when the scooters weren't being used, they were blocking pathways. They were, um, you know, laid out over the sidewalks. They were blocking driveways. Um, it was a real, real messy and dangerous situation. We actually had people contacting us who tripped and fell over scooters, um, you know, sustaining very severe injuries, fractures, uh, huge gashes that required stitches, things like that. Um, so it's about time, uh, that, you know, these, these, uh, very innovative companies, innovate a way to um, make this a little bit safer for everyone. So um, while, you know, maybe a little late, I do give accolade and, and I, I appreciate that they're taking steps to do it. Yeah. And I, I actually was going to mention that I remember taking phone calls. It was a daily basis where, yeah, I, they were just all over the streets of Chicago. Um, and I witnessed it even before the scooters came to Chicago. I was in San Diego and man, they were just everywhere. And it, right, it just, it was a, a disaster waiting to happen. So it's good they're doing this. Um, yeah, so good start. And like you said, it, better late than never. So it's, it's something, which is good. Right. A- amen. Right. I will head on to Tuesday. Um, this is interesting. Uh, it says, then this is from Click on Detroit. Um, that basically, they're proposing this idea of like, hey, need a ride across state lines and the hitch may be the answer. Uh, And the article goes on to say, quote, based in Austin, the company currently provides services in Florida and Texas. Uh, And just like Uber and Lyft, Hitch, you know, you can book rides to the app or the phone on its website. Um, The reason I was interested in this article, however, and I didn't know this, is that the company said it wants to be an alternative to train and bus rides and then added for drivers. If you're interested in a job opportunity, they, you know, announced that you can make $21 an hour or more on every drive. Um, Brian, I, I was first 
would like to know, have you heard of Hitch? And, and has any drivers, you have any feedback on, on what this company's doing? Yeah, you know, I have not heard of Hitch until this article came out. So it's not one that's getting much traction in, in our circles. Um, but certainly, you know, more opportunity is, is never a bad thing. Um, I just, I want drivers to go into this with eyes wide open. Um, $21 an hour sounds great, but these longer trips can cause big problems for drivers because expenses like gas, wear and tear, um, those things aren't always covered. And, and, you know, frankly, it would surprise me if they were covered by their rideshare company. So drivers might hear a big payday, like, oh my gosh, I got, you know, a seven hour ride at $21 an hour. That's great. But, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear. You're going to have to drive back, so hopefully you can get a uh, a ride going the other direction. Um, and we just want to make sure drivers are aware that, you know, there there are some pitfalls that that might come into play with a company like this. I'm in a lot of Uber and Lyft and uh, a lot of gig worker groups on Facebook, and I'm starting to notice this influx of cross state line um, getting Ubers and Lyfts. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's I'm starting to see that. Just like you said, you know, driver might post like, look at this, you know, cha-ching, you know, they, they want me to drive 90 miles, you know, to go to some event. But then as, as you pointed out, it's like, there's a lot of things they have to keep in mind. Yes, it, it might pay well, but you got to, you got to come back. There's gas, there's wear and tear. Um, so yeah, I just want to tee up the hitches around. And if, you know, anyone listening who has, you know, driven for a hitch, I would love to hear what your thoughts are on it. I, I was just interested in the fact of, their positioning is listen we're not micro mobility we are really like full to go in the go in the extra mile literally so <laughs> yeah. very interesting from a passenger perspective i think it's it's a really cool idea i mean i would rather be in a vehicle like you know like a normal passenger vehicle for a long trip than a bus i, I think it's more comfortable it's more private um but from a driver perspective i'm a little worried yeah i totally agree so yeah anyone out there listening if you if you've Use the app. Let us know. Uh, we're going to head on to Wednesday. This is a really fascinating article. Um, now, this is from Forbes. And according to Forbes, the gig economy was both uh, in- inevitable and it's here to stay. And the the article is very lengthy, but a few snippets here they added. Um, and this is their research is based on a 2022 article that says based on the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, 36% of U.S. workers could be classified as independent workers, and that will increase to more than half of all of the workforce in the U.S. economy by 2027. Then they go on to say, among the gig workers they studied, 60% of them are living entirely through freelance. 69% saw them working in the gig economy for the foreseeable future. Now, well, this gets even more interesting is that if they look at, as I put in comparison, in the article, current data suggests that only 6.2% of the UK population is part of the gig workforce. Um, really fascinating. It goes in a lot more, more details, Brian, but really fascinating the the gig work mindset, really. And, you know, it's not, it's kind of, it's here. It's not, this isn't a fad. Yeah, I, I think we've seen it grow over the almost decade that we've been around, you know, what was once kind of a, a niche uh, industry has grown to the mainstream. And, and it's become obvious in a lot of ways with really the sheer number of rideshare drivers and shoppers and delivery workers. And, 
and you know all that that we've seen over the the past few years, especially um, around COVID, um, the the economy has really boomed. Um, I think what I'm taking away from this article is yes, uh, gig work is here to stay. Yes, uh, workers want to in, engage in this kind of work and, and don't see themselves going back tr- to traditional jobs. Um, but with that, the there needs to be changes in the way that you know the work is is classified and workers are protected and. You know, that doesn't mean that we have employment status for everybody. I'm not necessarily arguing for that. But I think that there needs to be some oversight to make sure that they're protected and, you know, that they can't just be deactivated for no reason or that there's some due process or some minimum wage. And, you know, these are just all things that I think we need to consider going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a, a part of that article that I didn't um, put into this week in Rideshare on uh on the blog post, but they try to compare it to, I guess, what had happened in the 80s and 90s during a recession when it became kind of the growth of freelancers and part-time work and um, independent like journalists, you know, and saying, hey, this is very similar. And I agree, but the difference is, and just like you pointed out, those workers had a lot of protections compared to the gig economy of today. And, you know, just the way they're treated and the way the price fluctuates and just get deactivated. So, yeah, I mean, clearly this isn't – these companies can't just push their way through the, and say, well, we'll figure it out. You know, workers are going to fight back and they're going to say it has to change. You have to make it worth our, our time. Absolutely agree. Um, okay, so yeah, so let's head on to Thursday here. Speaking of, you know, uh, money and gig companies, Uber has reached – record revenue last year. Now, this is from Gizmodo. They reported, quote, quote, Uber announced it reached a record revenue last year, uh, overcoming the economic downturn that many companies had faced. The company basically said it revenue grew about 49% between 2021 and last year. Um, It said it has reached 131 million customers and carried out 2.1 billion trips. Uh, They also said they've launched their pilot membership program, Uber One, in five countries last year, um, and also which is growing and now available in 12 countries. So overall, Uber is saying, hey, we're we're doing it, guys. We're making money. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? <laughs> it, well, it's about time. And <laughs> frankly, I, I feel like they've been making money for a long time. You know, <laughs> right. there's, uh, you know, these somehow these executives and, um, you know, the, the C-suite seems to be doing just fine. And, um, you know, hopefully now that they're acknowledging the money that they're making, um, maybe there'll be a little bit more that can go around to the drivers. But I, <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. I, they haven't been known to share um, in the past, so I, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing a change in behavior, or certainly not predicting it. No, exactly. I think what's really interesting about this article, and this is from Uber, you know, specifically, is that. Remember, Uber is saying that we are a trans- we're a tech company. We are not a transportation company. That is their whole their whole speech. Yet every time that they talk directly about revenue, it always has the words trips involved. <laughs> it has consumers, you know, consumers using a program where they travel. How many miles? I right. just think it's hilarious that the you know Uber says that we're not a transportation company. Yet the only way that they can show revenue is through being a transportation company. Yeah, of, of course they're a transportation company. You know, that's that's the thing is it's so ridiculous. Every time I go to court and they argue that, you know, no, we're a technology company. We are just a middleman. We're Well, 
this whole business is based on transportation and they're, like you said, they're making money based on transportation. Um, they are monitoring their drivers and, um, you know, deactivating drivers for unsafe behavior. You know, everything relates to the transportation, getting people from point A to point B. So it is disingenuous and, um, you know, I'm glad to see that transportation is making them money, but I would like to see them put more of it in their workers' pockets. Yeah, t- totally agree. And to you wrap up the week here, we'll hit up to Friday. Really interesting article. Um, Instacart shoppers were once, you know, hailed as heroes during the pandemic. But, you know, one uh, reporter has questioned, you know, did that backfire? And this is from Retail Wire. And they wrote, quote, you know, delivery workers were once hailed as heroes during the pandemic. However, Instacart's experience shows how the sudden moralization of work can backfire. And this is according to a university study. The study was led by the Wharton professor, Lindsay Cameron. She found that rather than unifying low-wage workers, a narrative that is pushed by the public and a company can polarize and isolate workers, especially those such as gig workers who lack typical social structure that comes with being in a physical office with coworkers. So basically the study found there's a psychological balancing act between the schedule, flexibility, and autonomy offered. Um, and then they actually even broke these down into certain types of um, people. One is called the skippers, where they readily embrace this kind of hero narrative, but they don't really go the extra mile. They do what needs to be done. Uh, the stallers shrugged off the hero label, kind of viewing their work as just a transaction and necessary for their livelihood. You know, they saw Instacart as manipulative with many mocking its household heroes campaign, but they stayed on the platform. The third are the strugglers. So the strugglers wrestled with the hero label and needed to, you know, reconcile the task of grocery shopping with the idea that they were doing morally uh, credentialed work. I think this is a really interesting uh social experiment to see and and we witnessed this not too long ago on on a job that you know typically is just a shopper turned into a life or death situation which then kind of created these categories of people doing the work depending on how they felt about it morally um really fascinating it is it's very interesting to get into the psychology of gig work and um you know this instacart example is is one of many you know that there was the heroes of instacart we all remember that that campaign and people were really talking about that you know throughout the country the, the you know news organizations were hailing drivers and, and shoppers as heroes and you know we believe that they were as well they were doing a, a dangerous job so the rest of us could stay inside while while we were sorting you know the unknown out um but from a more global uh point of view i you know the psychology of a gig worker is something that, you know, I think is just really fascinating because the work itself does isolate people. As the article alluded to, there isn't that water cooler. Um, and I think a lot of times the companies really prey on the isolation of their workers. Um, it's hard to um, mobilize when you're working by yourself. It's hard to have a strong voice against injustices when you are um, not surrounded by co-workers and again are are isolated by yourself so a lot of the reason that the gig economy has become what it what it has and what it is today is because there hasn't been a 
a strong core of workers that can fight collectively. Um, so I think that this study in showing how even relatively, I mean, how not relatively, how huge accolades and in, in how um, you know a whole country supporting a worker um, can actually have a interestingly negative effect on their psychology. And I just think, you know, this has not been studied much because gig work in this way, as we see with the gig platforms, is relatively new. Um, and this, I'm sure, is one of many uh, studies that will, you know, take place and, and look at, you know, what exactly is going on in the brains and um, emotional well-being uh, of the gig worker. Yeah, and there, and the, you know, the the article references even that sort of manipulation, and I, and I'm sure you can weigh in on this. Um, I feel like there was times, especially at the height, with shoppers where they felt guilty not doing the job, knowing that they were in a position to help people. I remember I had calls from shoppers in tough situations, and they had maybe gotten injured or uh, assaulted, or the tip baiting, as we discussed multiple times, um, and every time. No, no one I spoke to ever said, you know, well, whatever, I don't care about anyone else. You know, they really, I think it weighed heavily on them that now they're being called upon to do something much larger than than just get a paycheck. And right, it's it, it can really mess with someone. And just like you said, with uh, you know, there isn't that water cool experience. I've, I've heard more than once in a lot of Facebook groups and, uh, you know, Uber people and, and podcasts, you know, it's sometimes gig workers, it's like herding cats. You know, because they just don't, they're not, there's no cohesiveness there. So it's fascinating. Yeah, no, it, it is. And you talk about the tip baiting part of this, which, you know, we've, we've been talking about quite a bit. Um, that, that lasted much longer in the Instacart world than it, it would have, say, for a, a delivery worker, you know, working for Domino's. Because it once that happened a few times within a within a big corporation where people are interacting and actually rubbing shoulders at the store, then you know that complaint gets heard and those workers start to come together and say, "This is BS. We're not dealing with this anymore." But when we have thousands of individuals who don't interact with each other and don't have any interaction with the company, you know, the, like the the managers or the corporate leaders at the company it allows these negative things to persist longer and it has a negative outcome on the driver's bottom lines. It has a negative result for their, you know, their psychological and emotional well-being. Um, so I, I just think that this study gives us some insight into how the isolation of the work can affect different people in different ways because there's not support in community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, before we sign off here, Brian, I'd, as always, just like to give you the the last word here before we head off into the weekend. Uh, yeah, you know, at the end of each show, we just like to remind everybody that Legal Rideshare is um, available anytime that you have an accident or injury situation. Um, we are the first law firm in the United States that's entirely dedicated to Uber, Lyft, and gig-related accident and injury claims. Consultations are always free. It costs nothing to talk to us and um, you know, at the least, just get a little bit of, of advice on how to deal with your situation. And if we can represent you and, and help put uh, real dollars in your pocket for, you know, medical treatment, lost wages, pain and suffering, any other damages that you sustain, um, we are standing by and, and, and ready to help. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. And as I always say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week. <laughs>